A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week we focus on a person, historical event or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. It's your turn. You can go. Oh, I'm dominating done. you. This is another excellent start because I can't see you. I feel like it's such an, an epic feat that we managed to produce a podcast that we can sort of get videos out of also every week. Oh, welcome to the HIV podcast. I don't know what it is, but whenever you hit record and it says that recording started, I'm just like, oh, can't speak. If I was in a film and they went action, I'd just freeze. I don't know how actors do this. I was going to say, maybe I should get what you know, one of those boards. What are they called? Like the shuttery boards. Oh, yes. I was no, that maybe, would make it worse. Yeah, exactly. Let's not do that. And, and I won't count you in either, because clearly it's bad enough every single week. Like you're saying, when I hit the button, it then announces to us recording in progress. Then Sarah just clams up. <laughs> That's what happens. I know. It's so weird, isn't it? Oh, anyway. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the WAD World AIDS Day Aftermath. Oh, yes. What an amazing, amazing World AIDS Day we had. So many people sharing with us, tagging so many events, so many people getting in touch, so many people giving us really amazing feedback. So I just want to say a couple of really quick thank yous. Obviously, everyone knows I'm just thanking everyone listening, because even by just listening, you're blooming amazing. Thank you to IOTA event. We attended their event that they put on with Quincy Young and all the drag kings and queens who gave their time for free. How amazing. And they raised £300 for TVPS and for Prepster. So thank you very much for that. But Do you know what I do have to say, Sarah, at this event? So I realise there's probably a bit of a disparity in who we are on the podcast versus who we are in real life. And I'm going to I'm going to actually put put, stick my neck out and say more disappointing in real life. Better on the podcast, more disappointing in real life. Okay. We just meet. So we're attending this event. And when we go in, it's really lovely, actually. The podcast is playing on the loudspeaker. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And then the event begins and 
<laughs> this is actually Sarah will know my worst nightmare. They announced that TVPS, who obviously I work for, are going to be making a speech, and then they just introduced me to the stage, and I have no idea that I'm supposed to be making a speech. I hate public. Well, I don't hate public speaking. I'm so shy. I find it really, really difficult. And that's why I was wanted to bring it up because I felt like the disparity, they just had it playing that you and I call our vaginas, Audrey and, you know, Velma. And then they invite me to the stage and I'm there like a tiny mouse going, oh, I don't really like public speaking. (laughs) (laughs) It was not good. Obviously, I'd be better if I was prepared, but I'd still be extremely shy. So I just think it's quite funny that when you and I are chatting, recording this podcast, it's just the two of us. So I've known you for 14 years. It's really relaxed. Whereas suddenly in a room full of people, it must be quite odd to go, hang on, wasn't she just chatting about penises and catsick? And now she can't even string a sentence together. What is happening? Oh, well done, you. It's not easy to make a speech, unprepared speech in public. So good work. I know. I did manage to get some Department of Health facts out there and I did thank everyone. So I feel like they were the most important things to do. Thanking at number one. Yeah, so that was bananas. But yeah, thank you very much to IOTA events. And I am sorry if, if you ever invite me to make a speech again, if I know, I will be prepared. I promise. And also another little thank you to Natasha Sainsbury. I know that you saw the amazing feedback that she sent us, her message. Please don't fall off your bike. She nearly fell off her bike when we were talking about orifices because she was laughing. So I hope you're not going to fall off your bike today. But we just wanted to say hello and thank you for listening. And thank you for being with us in our little community. Oh, I like this. Just hair dried you in the face. Just so much talking. Just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Any more? Are we done? No, that's it. What else? Oh, I did. I went to a wedding this weekend where I continued spreading the you equals you message. So the person sat next to me at the wedding breakfast, which, by the way, Ben thought was an actual breakfast. And yeah, the poor person sat next to me. I was like, so you equals you. Do you know what that is? (laughs) And then they didn't. So another person educated. But because we've had so many people saying, oh, that can't be real. I was like, but do you really understand what it is? But seriously, like you say it back to me. Do you get it? (laughs) So I'm a joy at a wedding. Last thing before I before I stop hair drying you in the face. Speaking of you equals you, there were some comments when on the Outcast UK. That was the podcast that we were invited on last week. So thank you so much for having us on that. And we both Sarah and I had talked about HIV transmission and you equals you and the legalities around that and how it works and the fact that you don't have to disclose to your partners if you're undetectable. And some of the comments were awful under that, weren't they? Under their TikTok video, I think one of them said disgusting. Yeah, and another one was like, what you're not going to tell your partners how insincere that make me so mad the judgments from people from oh honestly it's like they're living in the 80s and it just needs to stop Jess I know I was I was so shocked that's why I shared it you got what some of you may have seen it we shared it on our social media because I it's like yeah that you can't even tell people scientific facts without them being like that's disgusting is it and also that terminology really really bothers me I mean, why are we using the word disgusting? That's a very bizarre word to be using. And also, I mean, because people were saying, weren't they, about, you know, you should disclose and, you know, it's awful that you don't. And I think we need to get away from this narrative of putting responsibility on someone who is HIV positive, who goes to the sexual health clinic regularly, who tests, who has tested, who's taken medication. And we need to start and move the responsibility to... Well, everybody doesn't matter whether you're positive or not. You all need to take responsibility for your own sexual health. But I think the people that need to step up are those that aren't testing. 
because they don't know what they've got. So don't judge people with HIV if they don't disclose their status. They don't have to if they're undetectable. Do judge those people that don't know their status because they could unknowingly spread HIV amongst the community. And that's what we need to stop. I'll get down off this very high soapbox now. Uh, Please never do. I absolutely agree. And it's why we just need to keep banging this U equals U drum even more than we have been before. Please just tell everyone and anyone you know, go to a wedding, pin someone down at the dinner table and make sure you hammer it into them so that then maybe they go and tell other people to. I imagine that person sat next to you at the wedding is talking in their team meeting perhaps today going, Jesus Christ, I had the worst weekend. It's actually a friend of Ben's um, that I was sat next to. So he was very interested. But I think people just thought I was bananas at this wedding anyway. Because I had a bit of a hair disaster. You see the hair's changed colour. It's a bit like orange. Wasn't supposed to be that colour. I won't go into everything that happened. I don't know why I thought I'd dye my hair the night before we're going to a wedding. Why? I don't know. Why would I do that? A new colour. Anyway, it was like three hair dyes later that I had to put on it. Came out in this colour, right? So it's this like corally, pinky, orangey, who knows what colour it is. Okay, I will share a photo. And then I realised I was wearing an orange suit. Like Harry from Dumb and Dumber, and I had orange flowers for my hair and an orange shirt with purple leopard print on it. And I was like, I look like the bonkers orange woman and gold boots. I look like I turned up in fancy dress to a beautiful winter wedding where everyone's in like burgundy, forest green, glitter, lace, gorgeous, like fake fur. I look like the man from Del Monte. Like, that's what I look like. I really, I feel you might look like, what's her name from Gimme, Gimme, Gimme? What's her name, Linda? Oh, Linda! And I had a few people say, I love what you're wearing. And I loved what I was wearing. But with the hair, it was it was just that step too far. Do you know what I mean? It was too much. See, I thought, I have noticed you've dyed your hair. And I thought you've done this because Christmas season, my tiny little friend, I know you moonlight as a little Christmas elf. That (laughs) grotto can't man itself. Actually, let Sean know that you've got a second job in the run up to Christmas. But no, it's a big money maker for you. And I thought you'd gone all out this year. No, this is just a total catastrophe, basically. And then I had to go to a wedding. So I feel like people were going around to the wedding going, avoid the orange woman because she's just going to shout at you about you equals you. I feel like, you know, I was an easy to spot to say just avoid her. So yeah, that was that was my weekend. Okay. <laughs> shall we shall we talk HIV? No, let's just not bother. <laughs> Why change the habit of a lifetime? (laughs) Okay, right. We are looking at, oh, last week we looked at Jonathan, oh, the lovely Jonathan Blake, who is the nicest, kindest, just the the best person, isn't he? Yeah. Um, But he kind of inspired me because he is the original kind of activist, isn't he? So we're going to look at another activist this week, a more recent activist who's kind of carrying on what Jonathan Blake started really. So we are looking this week at someone who contracted HIV from their very first sexual encounter. And it's actually someone I've had to make my peace with because they featured in It's a Sin and they gave Richie HIV. But I've got over that. We are understanding what acting is in fiction, Sarah, right? So (laughs) Yeah, once I realised that it wasn't like real, I, I got over it. But this week we're looking at Nathaniel Hall. So as I said, a modern day HIV activist, very open about his diagnosis, but he is well aware of the stigma. And for a long time, he kept his diagnosis a secret. When he's decided the time was right to be open, he did it in the best way he knew. He's an actor. So it was only fitting that he used 
the stage, not only to be open about his status, but to educate about HIV. Now, we featured the lovely Stephen Hart a while back who wrote and performed a play about his diagnosis. So he's not the first person to to use the stage in this way. And in order to find out more about Nathaniel, he's written a book called First Time, same title actually as the play. And um, it's good. I liked it. It's got lots of information in there about HIV and different terminology. It's also got the manuscript from the play. So we've not seen the play, no. but we can read about or learn about what the play was about. Do you have the book there? I see your eyes looking down as you're talking. I want you to give me a little, come on, let's do a little advert for it. Oh, look, I've got a makeshift bookmark in it. Okay, perfect. Right, hold it up a little bit higher for me because I can use that as a perfect. Sorry, I just did a big old thumbs up so that we can use it as as an image for our social media. Oh, look at him. It's a good looking fellow, isn't he? You know what as well? He doesn't ever mess his hair up. So I bought some blue hair dye and Ben said, please, can we not dye your hair blue before a wedding? Now, I see where he was going and it's not because he's controlling. He was just like, your hair tends to go a bit wrong. And I mean, he wasn't wrong, but it was just in the wrong direction that that happened. But anyway, the reason I bought the blue dye is because I was inspired by Nathaniel Hall's hair. I don't know if you saw it where he went like merman green. Yes. It was like, oh, his hair always looks so good. I know that's not what we're talking about, but who is dyeing your hair? Tell me, because oh, mine is just a mess all the time. That, and that's what we're going to talk about this week, his hair dye. <laughs> we're going to talk about his play and his book. And the play was life-changing for him, by the way, because he was spotted by Russell T. Davis for It's a Sin. That's how he got cast for It's a Sin? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so in the book, uh, Nathaniel says he contracted HIV at 16 and it was the stigma and shame, not the virus, that led him to breaking point. Because he felt staying silent about his diagnosis only confirmed to others that it was something to be ashamed of. That makes sense. But he says it took him over a decade to get to that point in 2017. That's when it happened. So for those 14 years, he thought he'd been living his best life you know doing what every young person does going out partying having fun but he realizes actually all he's doing is trying to mask the pain of his diagnosis kind of in denial I would say sometimes people put that pressure on themselves it's like right I've been diagnosed okay here we go let's go I'm gonna get over it and we often see people coming to us and wanting to access support it's not when they've been first diagnosed it's Mm. tends to be maybe three months six months a year it takes time to go through your own stuff to then get to a point where you're like I'm ready to start processing this and that's absolutely fine like we get that it's I think there's that part of you isn't there that goes right this has happened let's get on with life what what do we normally do off we go to sort of shut it down and 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 say right I'm fine and everything's great sounds like that's what he was doing I think it's very common particularly if you have a diagnosis at a very young age it goes against kind of everything that you think you should be doing in life, isn't it? Nobody wants to be dealing with any kind of illness or medical appointments. You just want to be out there partying and having a good time. I totally, I get that. Yeah, I do. Okay, he says, I realised I'd bought into the narrative of stigma. I made a pact to change the narrative and keep shouting the new narrative until people would listen. Oh, he's feisty. I like that. Jess is nodding. (laughs) Right, when I butt in with nonsense... You're like, oh, God, she's ruining it again. And then when I'm being good and silent, fingers on lips time because I'm listening, you're like, oh, Jess isn't doing anything. (laughs) You just can't win. Okay, so in the play, he talks about how he was diagnosed. So as we've said, he was 16. He is waiting to pick up his tuxedo for the school prom. So he's a head boy at his school. His date for the prom is the head girl. I love this bit. But secretly, he's been seeing the deputy head boy. 
and wishes he could take him as his date. But he feels, you know, it's 2003, the world, or certainly his school, isn't really ready for that sort of revelation. And he sat on a bench outside the tuxedo place. He starts chatting to this older guy. They straight strike up a rapport and, you know, he gives him his number. Goes to the prom, bit of a disappointment. These sort of things always are, aren't they? Do you? I don't have a prom at school. We had school discos. Did you have a prom? No, we didn't have a prom. We had, it was called the dinner and dance. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you had school discos throughout school, but when you finished school at 16, because there wasn't sixth form where I went to school, so you had to go to college. So when you finished school at 16, your like leavers thing was was called the dinner and dance. And it was in the Grand Hotel, but I don't really remember it that much. I just remember this guy throwing up in the hall every at this hotel because he got really drunk. Yeah, you know, kids, isn't it? We definitely didn't have a prom. I do remember going to school discos, but in middle school. But the sort of kind of discos where it's in the school hall, all the blinds to block <laughs> the light out, that is only lit by the DJ's disco lights. And if anyone stands in front of them, that blocks the lights forever. So effectively, everyone's just standing in the dark. And then when you go back out into the corridor, it's so bright that your eyeballs are burned. That's what I remember. I remember that too. And the curtains were enormous, right? They always went like to the ceiling, which was so high. It was insanity. But I think they were ruined for us because, you know, when you watch like teen dramas or like Dawson's Creek or something, and you expect there to be some sort of like romantic speech or something dramatic or I don't know. And just nothing really ever happened. You know, you'd wait for a slow dance at the end maybe dance with someone you didn't really want to dance to with but you know you wouldn't want to hurt their feelings and then you'd go home and like you said it would be like oh it's an hour of my life gone wasn't the spectacle I thought it was going to be no they were just rubbish weren't they all the boys like off their faces on sugar and all the girls just clumped over in the corner just waiting like you say waiting for something to happen well once when I was in junior school so that's more around like eight years old around that kind of age eight nine um, there was a Halloween disco. You just brought this memory back for me. <laughs> I'm kind of proud of myself. So it was a Halloween. So everyone was getting dressed up. Actually, we must have been around 11 because we were getting ready to go to secondary school. And I remember going to it and I really wanted to go as Dracula. So like I, I got my mum, she made me because she's really good at sewing. This like cape with like this head thing. And I had the teeth and blood and I wanted my face to be white and my hair was slicked back. And I literally remember everyone thought this, um, even my friends. And they were all like, why have you come dressed like that? And it was just at that stage when everyone was trying to kind of do like cute, fancy dress. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Rather than say they'd go as like, not not sexy because you're too young for that, but pretty fancy dress, you know, or the boys are like trying to be handsome. And I turned up in like crazy, like Dracula. And they were like, why, why, why do you look like that? And I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Everyone just thought I was really weird. Oh, bless. Trying really hard to just nail it. I was just confused that everyone else seemed to deem this to be not an acceptable, even though it's completely fancy dress. Maybe it's like the banana situation this year. You know, I really liked that and thought that was appropriate for Halloween and nobody else thought going as a banana was appropriate. No one really got it, did they? I remember going to um, a brownies disco. Why would the brownies have a disco? Why? In our brownie yeah. uniforms, which, as you know, all brown. I just looked like a poo. And eating so much popcorn, I was sick all over the floor. <laughs> My mum had to come and get me. <laughs> Oh, what? Is that what you did at eight until you were sick? There's nothing else to do. Who wants to hang out with a load of brownies? I hated the brownies. Ugh. But it was on a Friday night. So my mum was very insistent that me and my sister must go to brownies. 
Now we realise it's because they got a massive Chinese often, you know, on the drink. She's got the right idea, your mum. What? Chucking us a burger and some baked beans. Saying, right, neck that down, get out to brownies, see you in a few hours. I just didn't like it. It's not for me, Sarah. It's not for me. How long did you go for? Oh, a good couple of years. I was, a, what they didn't call them leaders, did they? I was the pixies in the pixie, like the pixie leader. Yes, yes. You had like the different, I don't, I don't want to call them gangs because <laughs> it's not Mine like the, the sharks and the jets in brownies. <laughs> like It's not that situation. But. No, we had the pixies and the sprites and I don't know. Well, we'll go you. There you go. I was leading that brownie group. Right. Anyway, back to Nathaniel. He doesn't want to hear about our brownie experiences. So the, he is dancing with the head girl. He sees his future life kind of flash before him, you know, marriage, kids. And he knows he doesn't want any of that. So that's a bit of a life changing moment for him. When the prom ends, his phone goes with a text and it's Sam. Sam, the guy he met on the bench. And that is the start of a whirlwind romance of the summer and his first time. Really? Okay, so I can't lie. In my mind, when I conjured up where you said he met an older guy, I thought you meant like 60s. Well, he maybe he is. Oh no. Um, yeah, that that was in my head. So suddenly when you said well when romance, I was like, this is confusing. Oh no, no, he's not 60. I don't think he says in the book um how old he is actually, but I got the impression it's kind of late 20s. Right. But when you're 16, that's big age gap, isn't it? Yes, yes, that definitely is a big age gap. Okay, so uh, in the summer, he goes on holiday with his family, starts to feel a little bit off colour, and his family know he's gay, and his mum and dad, they're concerned that Sam's too old for him, and they also have the condom chat. Nathaniel dies a little bit inside, as all kids do when their parents try and talk about sex. I know mine do, although they're not really embarrassed anymore. They're just weary of hearing about it. I was going to say, if you were my mum... I'd, I'd be beyond the embarrassment and just in boredom town. Just like, we know, you equals you. How to put a condom on. Pinch the top of the penis. <laughs> yeah, that's the first lesson. <laughs> you know, my youngest, a few weeks ago, we were sitting watching TV and he said, Mum, and I was like, yes. He said, I just want you to know, I like girls. And I was like, oh, that's okay. That's that's fine. And I, he's the first child in the history of forever that's had to tell me that it's heterosexual oh but he came out in theory right but it's because I'm always saying when you meet someone boy or girl doesn't really matter okay he just wanted to let you know that this is what he's feeling at the moment it's almost like a lovely way of looking at the world isn't it like well everyone is going to come out because how would we know what anyone likes you know I like that we should all do it we should that's a that's very true actually isn't it yes Right, we'll start this. You've got a list as long as your arm of stuff to do to get viral. (laughs) Get your elf duties out of the way and then... Busy time of year for me. Busy time of year. Anyway, Nathaniel, he thinks about what his mum said. Mums are good at doing this, aren't they? Planting the seed. But he, he agrees. He said, yeah, actually, Sam probably is too old for me. After the holiday, he visits a sexual health clinic. Uh, this is in November 2003. And his health is deteriorating. He's got a cough got some STI symptoms. The results come back. So yes, got STIs. He declines an HIV test, but the doctor insists. And when he gets the result, it's positive. Do we know who he was with when he received those results? No, there's a scene in the play where he's told his status. Uh, It sounds really powerful because it's not said out loud. So it's depicted by a balloon being popped, loud ringing music, lighting, exactly like 
when you're told something that you don't want to hear and you're going to shock you know when you get that kind of rushing in your ears it's that kind of thing and there's a whole jumble of thoughts in in your mind that's kind of um how it's shown on stage and in the aftermath of his diagnosis oh he tries so many times to tell his mum and dad but he just can't and he on stage he reads out a list I won't read it all here but he reads out a list of everything that's happened kind of after his diagnosis things like going to uni getting his first proper boyfriend making himself sick as a punishment for having HIV it goes you know blaming himself not blaming Sam on that list actually it's nine times it's like try to tell my mum and dad uh the next scene he's um started taking HIV meds so for the first five years after his diagnosis he didn't need them so this is back in the days when they waited for your CD4 count to drop nowadays you just go straight on to meds but that is always a big milestone isn't it for everyone it used to be quite a building thing that people were waiting for some people really wanted to start meds sooner and felt that they should be on meds sooner other people really didn't want to start their meds but either way it's always been quite a massive milestone in terms of people living with HIV oh yeah that must have been a big one for him yes and he he does struggle not with taking the meds but I think it's that daily reminder isn't it that you've got HIV so he's using recreational drugs as well help him cope with his diagnosis and then he talks about the George House Trust who he turns to for support And they support him to write a letter to his 16-year-old self to process what's happened to him. That is a clever move, isn't it? What an amazing idea. I know. And he starts going to schools uh, and staff training days with the George House Trust to educate about HIV. And he reads them his letter. And he's shocked about their lack of knowledge around HIV. And he's like, okay, I see what I've got to do here. I've got to educate. I've got to destigmatize. I've got to empower people. And it's in this part of the play that he educates the audience by asking them questions. And I've only included one. He includes quite a few examples, but I just think it's genius. So he's obviously on the stage and he holds up a card that says sex with Jan in accounts. And then he holds up another card, which says sex with dirty bareback sex pig 1986. And he says to them, who are you more likely to get HIV from? (laughs) Enormous eyes. I'm not asking you. I'm not putting you on the spot. (laughs) So the audience choose, and I think most people would go, well, you know, Jan in account, she's a safe bet, isn't she? But he says, Jan's never had an STI test because Jan knows people who work in accounts don't get HIV. So she could have anything. Dirty bareback sex pig. He doesn't use condoms, tell by the title. What you don't know is that he's taking PrEP and he couldn't get on the NHS trial, so he bought it privately. It's such a cool example because it's like, oh, of course. Dirty bareback sex pig is taking full responsibility for his sexual health. He doesn't like to use condoms. So he's buying prep, whereas Jan, well, who knows where she's been. Yeah, and that's challenging the the stereotypes, isn't it, of, of what people think in such a clever way. Yeah, and really making the audience think. Um, And he does this for other scenarios about being undetectable, about getting tested. And, you know, the emphasis on don't make assumptions. Uh, And going into schools is making him more confident and he is feeling much braver until one day during a Q&A session, someone asks, well, wasn't it your fault that you caught HIV? (gasps) And that (laughs) it's him way back as it would do. Of course it would. And he's to relive you know the moment when he contracted and he realizes and this is through a bit of a drug-induced haze that it's not his fault 
Well, Sam took advantage of the situation, really, because Sam was older. And so Nathaniel doesn't know whether Sam even knew his own status. So he's kind of understanding that, you know, it takes two people. You can't lay all the responsibility on your own shoulders. Yes. Um, yeah, that's it. Like you're saying that there, there has to be a responsibility Yeah, to, to both parties. But to be able to to come to that realisation, I think, and be able to say this isn't my fault, because it's so easy to blame yourself for things, isn't it? So easy to be so mean to ourselves. And say, you should have done this, you should have done that. Like I know, I think we've seen both scenarios, haven't we, at the drop-in centre? So we've seen people who blame themselves. It's their own fault they've got this diagnosis and they have to live with the consequences. But we've also seen people who've blamed the other person. And that can be just as kind of destructive, really. And it can eat away at you. And really, it's like, let's not focus on blame at all. Because it's not going to help anybody. Let's just focus on your quality of life and how you move forward. Absolutely. So at our drop-in, at our support service, we never ask anyone how they contracted. A, none of our business, none of anyone's business. Absolutely not. If someone wants to share that, that's fine. Of course, you know, we're happy to talk and listen, but we never ask because it's just, it's irrelevant. And it's actually irrelevant to moving forward. It's easy to get stuck on focusing on that. And I think there's even the third scenario, Sarah, where we have the two that you've said, but then also we have people that don't know where they contracted from, but are so unbelievably focused and that becomes the everything. And it's like, but you're you're not able to move forward beyond this because mm. you're so focused on who it could have been. And I must find that reason. And it's like, well, we're probably not going to be able to. So there has to be that point where we move forward and we move on. Absolutely. And he does move on. So next we're on to Manchester Pride. He's at the vigil and the plan is that he's going to read out a poem he's written. But he is almost overcome by um, survivor's guilt, I think. That realisation that so many people have died from HIV, but not you. Again, we see this a lot, don't we? Um, And he can't read his poem out, so someone else reads it out for him. And again, another milestone. He's realised that he's living with HIV, but so many didn't get that opportunity and he starts to move on so some days he forgets he's living with HIV some days he doesn't but he still can't bring himself to tell his mum and dad and then there's the final scene where he admits that he he says he messed up the last 14 years I would absolutely disagree with that but that's how he feels and then he says but it's okay we all mess up and yes we all do and that's when you know someone's really moved forward because they can look back and go yeah, it didn't quite go to plan, but I'm okay with it. It's so amazing that he shared all of this because I think it's really it, helpful for other people to see, and he's been so honest, to see the journey that sometimes it can take. I, I think you're absolutely right because there are moments that people will be able to identify with if they're positive. And if they're not positive, I think it gives a really thorough understanding of what someone who's got a diagnosis can go through so it's enlightening for everybody it's it's fantastic it's not just are are you okay with this now have you accepted your diagnosis then we move on there will I think always be moments Mm. that you might struggle with and little milestones and like you're saying with him with the poem that you might not see coming and then suddenly you're there and it's like whoa yeah I did not expect to feel this way but now I'm going to acknowledge this and look at what that means absolutely So to tie up a couple of loose ends, did he ever tell his family? Yes, he did. He hands out to the audience a letter he wrote to his brother-in-law, sister and mum. 
And the day after they receive it, they all come around to see him. His mum brings a pot plant. That's so typical of a mum, is it? My mum always brings stuff when she comes to see me. I love that she brought a pot plant. Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely. A sign of true acceptance, isn't it? I've read your letter. I'm fully on board with what you said. Have a pot plant. And the poem. So the next year at the uh, WAD vigil, he performs the poem he wrote. So good on him. But he was so proud of himself for being able to do that coming so far in that time. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Being diagnosed with HIV isn't always easy. We know this. Some heavy emotions to get through. To put it into context, there are heavy emotions that I think people go through with any lifelong diagnosis. But Nathaniel Hall, thank you for telling it how it is. And thank you for using your platform to still keep promoting messages around you equals you, helping to to diminish stigma. He does so much good work. It's amazing, amazing to see. And we need people. We need people if they do have, you know, a, a bigger audience that can reach more people just like Nathaniel does to use that to educate people. Like it's amazing. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for speaking out. Thank you for just being brilliant. Thanks for having great hair. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i've told you everything about him and that's the one thing you're going to take away he's got lovely hair he does have good hair though i agree with you but i do think he is he's an awesome person he really is oh definitely go and read his book like i said we will share the image of it we will put a link to it in below the sources now you'll know where to find them because denise helped you with that last week you're welcome everyone but yeah do go and read it because obviously we we're only talking a small bit about who Nathaniel is. There's so much more. And go and check him out on um, social media because he's always doing really great yes. things. Yes. I can never do two things at once. I was just scrolling through to see if we've got any sources, but of course I haven't. The book was my source. It's called The First Time, right? Called First Time. Back here is done. You've got elf duties to be getting on with. I see your stripy stockings drying on the radiator behind you. <laughs> Such an idiot what am I doing I'll be editing this because we've said um about a thousand times and it takes a lot of editing our podcast again we went on an outcast UK podcast and I heard how much we both said um oh no yeah it was a fab 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 episode though so please do go and check out that podcast because it is really good I know we were on it that sounds really like self-involved and I'm like it's brilliant because we were on it but no it really really good podcast it was a really great word episode but um can you tell us what we've got coming up next week or is it a surprise? Another activist. Really? I'm on a roll. Have you noticed I do this? I start with one person and I'm off. Yes. Another awesome activist, a woman this time. That is, every, I'm so conscious I don't want to say, um, and people wonder, people wonder why we don't do more public speaking. Well, I told the story like, earlier. We just, edit ourselves. Yeah. We, we're terrible at it. We can't edit ourselves in real life and we're just... Sure. I, I, do you know how I'm lumping it, you in with this? I keep saying we. Actually, I think you're quite good with public speaking. And you're. I feel like you'd have handled being invited to the stage to make a speech you didn't know you were making a lot better than I did. I don't think so. I think I'd have just nudged Sean in the back. Off you go. <laughs> he is good at public speaking, but I don't think he'd be oh. very happy. They said to me when I was going up there, I was telling Sarah this, they said to me, oh, um, there are two microphones if someone else wants to come up. So as I'm going up, going in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be sick. What on earth am I going to say? I lean in and say to Sean, obviously, as you know, our boss, I say, oh, do you want to come in? I couldn't even finish. You went, no. <laughs> of course you wouldn't. Of course Did you, you have wouldn't. to hold a microphone? 
Oh, that's the, that would have been fine for me. How amazing. I would have done a little rendition of uh, the Mamas and Papas. Yes, Can't resist an opportunity like that. You love a microphone and there was a spotlight. So I was under the spotlight with the microphone going, um, he- hello, uh, oh, Nick speaking. Even though they've just heard the HIV podcast play where I'm just being very loud and yeah, just not, it, it must be very odd when people actually are like, how are you the same person? This is very bizarre. Well, it was the bit of the podcast where we were naming our vaginas. Yes, it right? was. Yes, it was. And then, and can everyone just please remember that I was with Sean, our boss, and then the bit of the podcast where I went, you say, oh, are you calling Sean a bellend? And I say, just to be clear, no one's calling you a penis, Sean. And we just stood right there looking at each other. And I'm like, well, this is awkward, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, it's a, it's a good job you've got that words do we we're just away oh i feel me and you that's the end for us now i mean at least you've got a backup job i haven't got anything jess just seasonal though what will i do the rest of the year maybe we should start promoting easter elves easter elves sounds perfect no don't worry it's fine remember we were going to start audrey and velma's views on the world yes that's what we'll do our vaginas will lead the way vagina chat yeah that's what we're going to do you should call it nobody steal our brilliant idea please oh no no definitely don't i mean maybe we should just do it anyway i'm really hoping that nathaniel's turned off by this point Sarah's face is a picture when she realizes this is it now yeah sorry and yeah if you have made it this far i was gonna say it's not always this much of a shambles but that's not true is it it's always like this we just can't seem to get a grip on is it professionality? Is that an actual word? Oh, professionalism. <laughs> yes, yes. Just as much as nextly is, Sarah. Professionality. <laughs> oh, my God. End it here. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the beautiful Word document that you made me? Well, do you know what? I am going to because Nathaniel Hall won't be listening anymore because it's car crash of a podcast this week. But what I would like to point out is that he follows us on Instagram and he liked the post that you'd put up with my Word document. Thoughtfully can't even speak now thoughtfully curated with images from the podcast didn't like any other posts so I think he's a big fan of my work yeah I mean I wasn't though I'm not gonna lie to you normally I'd be really polite and I mean I appreciate your effort so the effort I appreciate but the word document situation I was a bit unhappy with right well you're going to be very disappointed with your Christmas card then thanks for listening to the HIV podcast If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.